I am Sumit Gupta and this is Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams at work and life. This is a podcast for people who know deep inside that there is more. Have you achieved a great deal of success, but on the inside you still feel empty and like an imposter? Do other people see you as a strong leader and you wonder why it still feels so lonely and suffocating? The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. I dare to speak to the tremendous power which you already have rather than what you believe are your strengths and limitations. This podcast is called Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. And this is the Humble Inquiries series. In this series, Leslie joins me as my co-host to humbly inquire into some of the most pressing challenges leaders are facing today. We have curated these challenges from conversations with hundreds of leaders in the past few months. In each episode of Humble Inquiries, me and Leslie are deliberately going to put ourselves in the uncomfortable space of not knowing the answer and humbly inquiring about these challenges with the aim to provoke new thoughts, actions and practices to help us better serve our coaching clients and also help the leader in you navigate these challenges both at life and at work. Hello everyone, it's Leslie and Summit here with another topic of humble inquiry. Today we're going to be talking about people from the standpoint of hiring, retaining, managing expectations and motivating. Thank you. And I am hearing this is a big challenge in the post-COVID or like the, especially with COVID, this is becoming a big challenge for almost every industry. Yeah, it's each day you can't escape the conversations about the difficulties of hiring people, especially, but also keeping those that you have. And what is it going to look like moving forward? There's a lot of unknowns since COVID has changed everything. Yeah, I think COVID is a, is a good point to start because uh, I think it has increased everybody's expectations just by bringing uh, like the big picture into view. Even people who were not thinking about the big picture and now they are suddenly looking at a totally different point of view when it comes to their work, what they're expecting from their companies, from their managers. So I think COVID is a big trigger point in, in this uh, day and age. It is, and it gave people space to think about it and pause and really reflect and decide what's meaningful to them while it was also drastically shifting what was happening in the workplace. So those two kind of forces combined have resulted in so much ambiguity in this space of what's happening and how to move forward. Yeah, I think remote work became became the default, which was a big shift for many companies and people suddenly had a lot more choice, which they did not have before. And then they saw that there were new ways of working, which were possible. And suddenly their expectations are now higher that we're talking about return to work. We're talking about a hybrid workplace. And I think one thing which is becoming critical is, is whether companies are willing to adapt, whether leaders are willing to adapt to the changing landscape or not. Yeah. And that I've heard it so much, it varies what the industries that really were able to send people home right away and then adapt based 
upon force, really, as compared to those who stayed in person the whole time, maybe haven't adapted even for the office positions or those that could work from anywhere. So they're now fighting and competition space for those that have um, shifted to that hybrid and flexible as opposed to those have, who have stayed very kind of standard work hours. This is how we do it in person. So it, it is causing a lot of um, options uh, as well as conflict. <laughs> yes, especially in the tech uh, sector where, where I have a lot of connections. I keep hearing this uh, from uh, almost everybody that hiring and then retaining people is a huge challenge because first of all, people are so difficult to find because and there's a huge demand for everybody technical these days because a lot of technical tools like Zoom and all has fueled a new rise in demand for digital technologies. And then even apart from that, a lot of people are becoming a lot more choosy about the kind of culture they want to work in. I think as you mentioned, people do not just want a place to work or a place to get a salary. They want meaning, they want purpose, and they want to work in a company where they feel loved and valued and not just being treated as another resource. That is the key aspect, no matter what they're doing from anyone on a manufacturing line or some operational position to super high tech intellectual positions where that's they're using their brain power, that everyone has that feeling of wanting to be valued and to have purpose in their work. Yeah. And I, I think another shift which COVID has brought is now companies are willing to hire from outside the cities where they used to be present. So I know being in Europe that many European and Canadian companies are now hiring in Europe, which they were not doing so before. So they are hiring for remote positions and now they are able to suddenly pay salaries, which were unheard of in Europe. And because of that, local companies have to suddenly adapt or see a huge amount of uh, their people leave for these new opportunities, which were not available before. So in a, in a way, competition for talent has suddenly become global. It, it definitely has. And even here in the US, we have such differences in cost of living between states even. So some people are living where I am in Pennsylvania with much lower cost of living than say New York City and doing a New York City job. So that can spread all across the U.S. and like you're saying, Europe and everything too, uh, which has caused kind of pressure on wages and the need for that to be competitive. But it also has changed how that needs to be assessed before it may have been able to be assessed very locally. And now it needs to have that broader based uh, assessment of it and how you handle that. Just because they're living somewhere else and doing that job, does that mean you change the wage or how do you want to apply that? So companies are having to make very big decisions and shifts in how they are uh, assessing it and how they remain competitive there. And I think people want a lot more transparency now from companies about what are the salary bands rather than just asking people for what their previous salary was and then maybe giving a 10%, 20% rise over that. People are asking for what is the salary bands for this particular role? And then how does it matter what my previous salary was? I think people are also demanding fairness. People are demanding honesty and transparency that equal pay for equal work and beyond gender. I think, I think we have spoken about gender being a factor in the last many years, but now I think geography 
even uh, across continents like why should uh, i pay different or why should i i get something different because i am belonging to a particular community or i'm coming from a different country yeah it definitely is that and i've experienced that hiring individuals it sometimes it's not even relative to ask what they're making now or what they made in their last job because maybe they've been unemployed for a certain amount of time it's it has shifted so much that it is the only thing that's relative is what the compensation is now and what's the possibility for that individual based on their experience and what they're bringing to the role and i think the the flip side is that people are leaving as soon as they are dissatisfied because there are newer opportunities than they were before so one one challenge which i hear from leaders is that motivating people and listening to their dissatisfaction is suddenly a huge priority because before you know people are submitting their resignations so managers have to be very quick very adept at listening to different uh, viewpoints and then addressing them Yeah and that is the tension point of you, there needs to be this large focus on recruitment to get staffing to the levels that it needs to be and that requires quite a demand because it is such a vast process and fierce competition but you also can't forget or neglect the employees that are there what are you doing to retain them and motivate them and communicate them with what's happening if you're making shifts to compensation or benefits or anything like that to hire someone in what shifts are you making internally to keep that equitable for those that are already there so it is quite a bit of tension on keeping all the people happy and engaged yeah i think you mentioned about these two things hiring people recruiting people and then retaining them but i want to bring on bring in a third element i think which completes a triangle which is about the kind of leadership the kind of leadership people want to work under and it's not just the job of uh, recruitment or hr to bring in new people and to retain the people through benefits or through other kind of uh, offers which they can provide but a lot of people leave not because of the company but because of whom they report to this has been proven time and again by statistics and i think leaders uh, have a much bigger responsibility now they need to play an equal part in in the day to day job not just and delegate to the people's side to the HR department or the people department. You're absolutely right. The the leaders have such an impact on the whole organization and that's leaders at all levels because how they're treating their own employees but also how they're treating their peers it really can have a dramatic impact and I know just like you said I've left jobs based on leadership. If it's not there that's I know that's not going to provide Uh, me the support and encouragement that I want as well as the environment to thrive and you mentioned how age you know it's not HRs and I think so often from an HR perspective the HR job would be easier if leaders were really good and doing their job a lot of times HR ends up with more work because the leaders have failed to do what they need to do or aren't prepared to address something with employees or communicate and it does take a whole team to be able to do this it's not it doesn't just rest on one person or one role or one function yeah and i think there is another advantage which we overlook of good leadership especially when we talk about hiring as a challenge that not only 
do less people leave and that reduces the strain on recruitment. But also good leadership improves the productivity of those people you already have. So hiring is a challenge because there is more demand for work. But another way to address it rather than just adding more people is to increase the productivity and well-being of those whom you already have. Uh, and good leadership skills, good listening skills, uh, especially coaching as a skill for managers, become very important, not just for from the hiring point of view, but also from the productivity and from the, like, the business point of view. So much of it comes back to communication. What are the skills of the leader to communicate with staff to be able to know do they have the right tools and resources? Are they being challenged? What's getting in the way? Just like what you were saying, how does that help or hinder productivity for the whole team? And to me, that comes back to the communication piece of what a leader is sharing, what they're asking, and how that full circle of communication occurs. Yeah, yeah. I think communication is key to leadership. And it reminds me of a, of a story that one of my coaches told me that uh, there was a family day at work and suddenly children were allowed. And uh, for one leader, his daughter was there. And after the whole day went over, this daughter basically went home and told her mother that my, my father doesn't do any work. All he does is talks every day. And I think this is, uh, this is very key because what leaders do effectively is they talk all day there spend most of their time in meetings, in convincing people, persuading people, motivating, inspiring people. So communication is where all leadership revolves around. And I think what you just mentioned is a key thing. If we can help leaders get better at the conversations they are having, that will also solve not just the productivity problem, but also the hiring problem. Exactly, because if, if you can communicate what it's like to work in your company, if you can communicate the expectations, the values, uh, really telling a story of what it looks like to be a member of that team or that organization, that helps with the hiring. People want to know and get a feel for what it will be like before they dive into a new job opportunity. And again, it comes back to the leader being able to communicate that the same as any company is trying to market a product, the leader almost needs to market the employee experience of what it looks like to be in that company. And not, not from a salesy way that it's not being truthful, but from really being able to be open and share what it looks like. And if the leader hasn't been communicating with employees to know what that experience feels like for them, they're not able to share that message and not able to bring staff in as effectively. Yeah, and I think I, I want to bring the attention to coaching, especially when we are talking about conversations, because normally coaching is spoken about as something extra, a different skill, a new skill. But what I see is coaching is just a way to have conversations more effectively. Because when I break down coaching, it's all about listening. It's all about asking questions, which is about having conversations, which is about having people do something together rather than me telling you as a leader, do this, do that. Coaching is just a way, a different way of having conversations that allows you as a manager to, to be more productive, to, to create more productive teams. And so I think uh, coaching is a very key skill, but not just from a coaching point of view, just from a general conversational and communication point of view. Yeah, when you say it like that, it sounds so simple. Having this skill about communicating and listening 
And yet a lot of people are failing at it, which is what is leading us to this kind of tension point that we're in. So how do we get better at it? Yes, I, I think that's a wonderful question for leaders to ask, but without a heaviness of failure. I think bringing a sense of inquiry, bringing a sense of curiosity with that there is something which is new and then there might be new ways of leadership that might be required going forward. And then how can I learn that without overwhelming myself and my teams? And to make it simple, right, we can break coaching down into a huge skill which requires years of training. But to just to bring it to very specific, it can be as simple as resisting your urge to give advice and instead asking questions which, which engages people in a conversation. It can be as simple as that. Uh, and we can go deeper into listening. We can go deeper into understanding uh, emotions and empathy. But it doesn't have to be that way. I think it can be very practical. Every time you have an urge to give advice, why don't you ask a question instead? So I think that's where we can break down coaching and bring it uh, to almost everybody. And why, why just managers? I think this is a skill which anybody can learn and get better at having conversations and uh, building better relationships. I, I think what you said there is so powerful about the urge to give advice. And I would throw in the word feedback. People are always talking about performance feedback. Most often that feedback is layered with advice of how to correct it, as opposed to saying, how can I help you be more successful at attaining this this measurement or this goal or this action, whatever that may be, how can I help you? Or what tools do you need? They're simple questions uh, that really help the individual learn and grow themselves. Yes, I think feedback is a very important element, but often which triggers a lot of anxiety and a lot of heaviness for people. And if I bring the coaching lens to, to feedback, I think I would add two things. First is always share the context why you're providing this feedback, and which is always to improve performance. The point of feedback is not to show people where they are wrong. It's not to fix them. It's, it's not to put them into boxes of underperforming, exceeding expectations and so on. It's basically to help them get better so that the team gets better and so that the company gets better. So always even critical feedback under that context of that the goal is only to improve performance by working together, not by me telling you what to do, but by working together, engaging in a conversation of feedback rather than just a dialogue or a monologue of feedback. And I know we've focused a lot on communication and the feedback, and that really is what drives a workplace culture. That's what's helping shape the culture to be uh, what it is. And if as a leader, you're not sure what your culture is, pausing there to assess that and really see, are these conversations happening how you want them to be? How can you change that? And what impact will that have on your culture so that you can retain employees so that it's easier to recruit them. It all has a purpose in helping to move your business forward. Yes, and I think culture is very critical in the hybrid and in a virtual place because earlier we used to see, we used to sense how people are doing by just seeing, walking around in the office. And now suddenly in the virtual world, all of those uh, soft signals are disappearing. I'm talking to a few leaders who say they have no idea what is happening. 
from a culture point of view. They have no idea of how people are feeling. Are they motivated? Are they excited? Are they frustrated? And this brings the attention back to listening. So we have closed down a lot of uh, opportunities for listening because we are not just in the same physical space. But at the same time, in the digital world, I think we can still listen to that. We can still listen to what people are really experiencing. What is the mood? What is the culture going around? What is the kind of gossip? What is the kind of rumors going around? But we have to be more explicit. We cannot just assume the old ways will work. There will be new practices. There will be new new interventions which leaders need to make to actually bring that cultural element more in the open, even in a virtual world. Yeah. And it's a new aspect, new for most organizations, new aspect of business that needs time for us all to learn and hone in and almost test and play a little bit as a leader, figuring out what helps give you that pulse on your employees so you can really sense what's going on as opposed to continuing the same thing and saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not really sure how they're feeling or how they're doing. Test different methods to check that out. You can't have the typical water cooler conversation that you may have had or around the coffee pot in the morning, but what does that look like instead? And how do you create the space for that? And it can be implementing check-ins at the beginning of your meetings. You know, what's one or two words about how you're doing? And you can really learn a lot about the space that individual is in. And you also automatically bring all the voices into the conversation to start a meeting by having that check-in. So that's one simple way of being able to impact your culture, shift in this kind of crazy world that we're living in that's changing all the time, and keep the focus on the people that you have of retaining them. Yeah. I think the check-in is a very good example because uh, very recently I was working with somebody and I heard from him that he devised a three-level check-in where when a meeting begins, almost everybody takes five to ten minutes to just talk about what they're thinking, what they're feeling and what they're sensing in their body. So thinking could be like, uh, is it feeling, uh, I'm feeling excited, I'm feeling weird, I'm frustrated and that, that could be an emotion. So that's the second level. Uh, and to create that space to be okay to share without fixing. So somebody can share, I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling anxious without anybody jumping in to fix that or to provide solutions. To bringing that that level of uh, the full human being, including the body and the emotions, which was very easy in the physical space, but now it's hidden. Uh, but we can still be more explicit about it. So that's a very good example which you shared. Another example which uh, which I'm reminded of, uh, a person just told me this morning that they have started a one-hour weekly listening meeting where everybody just comes in and shares their thoughts on the company, on the direction which they are going, any concerns, but nobody offers solutions. Nobody talks about it. Everybody shares their concerns, their thoughts, and everybody else listens just one hour dedicated every week, just for that. Wow, that, that's a great one. That's the first I've heard something like that and give them a lot of credit for creating the space for the employees. And as I listened to you and was thinking about it, it really is about creating space. Before you created that space physically, you created a lunchroom, you created a little lounge, you created some space 
built within your culture that fostered that. Now that space needs to be created virtually or in hybrid format to be able to continue to cultivate those relationships and conversations uh, to retain the people and to make sure that they're satisfied and they're not at risk of burning out or they have what they need to continue to be successful and want to stay at that organization. I, I also want to address one thing that since we are talking about leadership, I don't want any leader to feel that there's suddenly a lot more work for leaders. And I think an important point is uh, this is also an opportunity to involve people and to listen to and do and implement what they feel is the right thing to do rather than what you can plan or devise as a leader. So this is also an opportunity to delegate work to your team and involve them in planning or uh, implementing these new exercises or initiatives because it's not only your job and a part of your job as a leader is to involve other people. And that will create that space of togetherness, even if uh, we are all sitting in our own homes. That is absolutely true. And you reminded me of being in that position myself as a leader, knowing things weren't on track, which is really what's happening here. Things have changed and you may not be on track. What does it look like to get back on track or to adapt to what has happened? And the leader doesn't have to have the solutions. The leader needs to create the environment to have the conversations to be able to come up with those solutions. Sure, they ultimately have to make that decision, but bringing the whole team in together to be part of that saying, look, this happened, whether that's just saying COVID happened, we still don't, we're still in it. We still don't know where we're going. Are we all coming back? Are we not? Whatever. What does it look like for us to be on track right now? And how do we get there? And truth that's so powerful coming from a leader to be humble in that instance to say, I don't have the solutions. We're all in this together. Ultimately, I have to make the decision, but we're going to work together to figure it out and get ourselves back on track and really making that declaration that it's not where we want it to be is almost free to then be creative and lead it wherever it may go that's going to work for the team. I think that's a very valuable point. I think simply acknowledging that I do not know. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. And what we are doing is an experiment. It's something which we are trying and seeing what will work, what will not work. And then just being open and giving people an opportunity to, to share ideas. So if you feel that there's a lack of positive energy, maybe a possibility could be to create a Slack channel just for gratitude so that people can come and say thanks. Okay, you did this, thanks. You did this for me, thanks. Very simple gratitude, but it impacts not just the person whom you are expressing gratitude, but also for yourself who is expressing gratitude. So those take your attention away from the challenges, which is hiring, which is retaining people, to what you can actually do and how can you tap into the creative potential of people you already have. So I think that's a big attention shift, which can very easily take away the burden of uh, and the stress, I know, which a lot of leaders are under. Uh, and they can slowly over time see some creative juices flowing. Uh, and then that eventually makes it easier for hiring and retaining people as well. Leveraging technology is always um, a fun way to do it. I think my only caution there is not too much. Some people 
become overwhelmed by all the dings and <laughs> messages. I've heard stories of that that Teams chat noise from Microsoft or the Slack channel noise that it makes actually can cause certain individuals' anxiety or panic attacks. So even recognizing how that happens in your workplace, does someone have permission to turn those notifications off? What's that expectation behind it? I know when we got sent home and started using Teams and hadn't used it to that level, I was like, how do I stop this noise? How do I stop these things from flying on my screen? So it is that balance of using it, but also manage the expectation. You want to use it for positivity, like you're saying, not to create additional burden of, I must check all these channels uh, to see what's happening. It's more of, oh, when I need a moment of positivity, I know I can go over to the compliment channel and, and read through them and see what's happening today. Yeah, and this reminds me of, uh, I think, a recent article I was reading somewhere where uh, a leader was telling their story of because of so much uncertainty, they just told their teams that every process, every rule which we had, because the context has changed so much, we do not know which process is relevant, which is not. So what, what they did in their organization, they asked every employee to use their best judgment to do, do things which they feel is the best for the company and for their own well-being. Uh, and that includes uh, having the freedom to turn off their laptops and not checking their emails in the evenings, to taking some uh, time off during the middle of the day to take a walk outside, to get present to nature, or to just turn off their notifications or to just make it very explicit that they will reply to take messages or emails at particular points of time. So giving people that freedom to exercise their best judgment and trusting them with that because the leader was right because so much has changed. How can you be sure that your old policies or old rule books still apply and still serve what you're trying to achieve? So that's a very key element of giving people autonomy and finding that right balance between technology, between sharing, between being open and between being at your own comfortable space even if that means turning your camera off, turn, staying away from screens at times. And, and completely disconnecting at times. So one of the things for current employees in that retention is what does time off look like and how do you ensure that they get that before you would be traveling somewhere and not checking in perhaps or not expected to, but now it's, well, they took the day off, but I know they're at home. Hmm. That doesn't mean that they should be responsible for checking in, having that total disconnection, like you were saying, shutting screens off, letting it go, getting outside, or maybe just resting, but ensuring that people take their time off, not only that it's provided, but take it is a key piece of retaining them so that they don't end up burning out or feeling underappreciated. You want to make sure that they have that balance and reward. Yes. In fact, I think vacation should not be done to de-stress or to avoid a burnout. Everybody should be free to use their vacation days for traveling, for practicing their hobbies, any other passion, spending time with family. But if we use vacation for de-stressing, then it means that something is wrong in the workplace itself. And that's where we can focus our attention. So how can we make the workplace a place where people can really enjoy, be productive, produce more, and have a good time at that and then enjoy their vacation days 
not to de-stress, but to really enjoy the other parts of life. I'm smiling um, because I remember I would schedule them basically as like prevention. I knew that I needed X number of days off per quarter or something like that so that I wouldn't get to that point. And I think making sure that you recognize that and plan even no matter what, whether you're going to travel or just have the time off, ensuring that your team has that is, is key. For leaders, this is a very easy prompt to ask their team members that are you taking this break to recover from stress or are you taking this break to enjoy yourself? And then if they're taking this break to recover or to prevent stress from building up, maybe there is something else which they need to put their attention on. And again, from the larger context of hiring, larger context of workplace productivity and well-being, because all of these elements go together. Yeah, and I think it continually comes back to communication. What does that look like? for your team you have and when you're hiring, asking people what will help make them successful. We talked about compensation being a big driving factor. The other pieces are that, the time off, the benefits, the culture, making sure that that, that what that is and what you're offering and being able to bring people into that and really onboarding them into your organization is a key step. Yes, and I think to tie the whole thing together with, with communication, and, and listening. Communication is not only about what is being said. Communication is also about what is not being said, which needs to be said, and what is being said, but you, which you are not hearing. So people are expressing something all the time beyond the spoken words. It can open so many possibilities to impact workplace culture, productivity, well-being, and then which makes it easier to hire people, to retain people, and to motivate the current staff that you have. I think it's one of those sayings, and I'm not going to quote it exactly, when it's your talented employees or those driven ones that become silent, that's the really scary moments because something uh, is wrong. And if you're not in tune with that silence, you're really at great risk of losing an incredible individual who's contributing in your organization. In fact, silence is more dangerous than conflict. If you're having conflict, that's a good sign that people are at least engaging. But if suddenly everybody has gone silent, maybe there is a bigger, uh, like there is a mood of resignation going around and you don't even know what you are missing out on. It can, silence can be very scary. Does this uh, look like a good place to end this uh, session of Humble Inquiries? I think so. I think we talked about a lot of great aspects of it and really came back to that communication is key and listening and it will help not only you as leaders but also uh, your team. To sum it up for, for our listeners, yes, it is a real challenge. Everybody can feel that. We can literally feel that in our bodies. But at the same time, we have the power to shift our attention from hiring, from the stress, from the challenge side to what we can actually do, to what we can actually do in the culture side of it too. What can we do from a leadership point of view? And what new and explicit practices we can introduce to listen to people and, and to bring in those elements which are missing, which will make hiring eventually easier. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction 
not just for yourself but also for those around you this is what i do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light to help you see what you are already capable of i say what might be uncomfortable for me to say or for you to hear to show you that all our dreams which have been on hold are within our grasp if you like the sound of it do not forget to leave a rating i invite you to subscribe to my newsletter at deployyourself.com/newsletter you can also reach out on linkedin twitter and facebook to share any other comment or feedback i want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and thank you for listening always remember that you are enough you are loved and you matter this is sumit until next time keep choosing leadership